one. How many of you remember those days when you could out go out there and play and you didn't think about any trouble, you didn't think about any problems, all you cared about was playing, and you probably wouldn't come home if mom didn't tell you to come home. You'd probably stay there half the night and starve yourself half to death, but you didn't even care. You're just having so much fun. That was a different day, wasn't it? It was a different day. But that day's coming back. That day's coming back. Maybe not in this millennia, maybe not in this time, but I believe maybe in a, in a better time when the, the true king sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and there'll be peace in the land like there's not been peace in this world since the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, take, your, take them if you would and turn to Genesis chapter 33. We're, we're going to speak about Jacob tonight and next week. And then we're going to, since we've already talked about Joseph several few years ago, we'll skip that. We all talked about Moses. We'll skip that. We'll go maybe into Exodus a little bit. Maybe we'll look at the Ten Commandments or something, but praying about what God would have me to speak on. But tonight and next week, we'll be looking at Jacob. Tonight, we're looking at Jacob and his backsliding. In Genesis chapter 33, verse 17, Jacob in his backsliding. We talked about this a little bit towards the end of the service last week, but I want to go over this one more time, make sure we got it. Genesis chapter uh, 33, verse 17. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house and made him booths for cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, which when he came from uh, Pandaram and pitched his tent for a city. And he, he bought a parcel of the field. And there he had spread his tent at the land, hand of the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And erected there an altar and called it uh, El Eluth Israel. Father, we thank you, God, for the night. We thank you for these folks who've come out on this Sunday night. Lord, to, to hear more of your word, I pray that you just bless them and their willingness. Thank you for the sweet fellowship, Lord. We've enjoyed the singing. Lord, thank you for each one of all these things you've blessed us with. I pray, Lord, that you would help us through learning more about your word to grow closer to you and apply these things that we hear tonight to our everyday living. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see... Jacob and his backsliding and how God separated Jacob. Sometimes God uses trouble to separate us from trouble. Sometimes God uses trouble to separate us from trouble. And Jacob is going to get ready to go from trouble. Go from trouble. Remember we, we talked about the life of Jacob and how he'd been a schemer. And how he lied to, schemed, deceived his brother Esau. And then because of his mom, who was some, a whole lot like him, and I'm sure the apple don't fall far from the tree, uh, she was uh, telling him, your, your brother's going to kill you. And so he, he deceived Esau from a blessing and, and, um, and all that he was promised to get. And so that didn't happen. And so he, ultimately Jacob had to flee the land and ultimately go to a place where his family were so he could actually marry the right person instead of the wrong person. And in doing that, he was deceived by his future father-in-law by the name of Laban. And there he had to work uh, seven years for uh, the, what he thought was the right woman, which wound up being the wrong woman. He thought it was Rachel, wound up being Leah. And then he worked seven more years for his one that he loved being Rachel. Then six more years for Laban for 
for the cattle. So after 20 years and then meeting Esau, we talked about that, meeting not only Esau, meeting the Lord, being wrestling with the, the Lord Jesus Christ, what we believe is a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ and wrestling him. We know that he had been blessed and now he was a broken man. And we saw that how he met Esau one more time and how he tried to go back to his old ways and put all his family from the least important to the most important and finally himself at the very end to meet Esau and how his, his brother Esau acted so much more nobly than he did. And again, he deceived his brother saying, I'll probably meet with you, which he probably never meant to say. So he goes from that place to, to a place, as we read tonight, called Succoth. So we see him in his backsliding, and first of all, his, his failure as a pilgrim. His failure as a pilgrim. In verses 17 through 20, he's in the wrong place. He's on the wrong place. He goes to Succoth, and there we see Jacob building in verse 17. Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And we mentioned last time, this is the first time that we can find recorded in Scripture this this a house, a, a dwelling place. These, these patriarchs, these pilgrims dwelled in tents primarily. They traveled, they built, they built altars, they uh, digged up uh, wells for themselves to be able to have uh, water, but they traveled primarily and, st- primarily and stayed in different places. But he's here building. He's, 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 he's focusing on, on the now. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in the strange country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and the heirs with him of the same promise. He was focusing on a temporal city, but ultimately we know as Christians, we're, our primary focus is on a heavenly city. We're not to be consumed with this world, but with the next world. And that's, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Now, obviously we have to have a place to dwell, we have a place to live. But our, 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 our ultimate purpose is not on the temporary, it's on the eternal. Because life down here, at the very best, is short. At the very best, it's unstable. You cannot guarantee yourself you'll make it from here to the house. There's no bad in this room say, preacher, I guarantee you I'll make it from here to the house. Now, you may think you can because you've done it many a time, but many a person has thought they're going to go from A to B and didn't make it to B. And they're in that cemetery right down over that road over there. That cemetery right down over there. They thought they thought they would get there, but some old drunk, some old person, some old person texting somebody, person doing something they shouldn't. Every day somebody dies on seventy-five. Every day somebody drives dies on ninety-five, and you're back up in the traffic because somebody was looking the wrong way, playing on their phone, dialing something on the radio when they should have been paying attention to the road in front of them. You can't promise yourself, but what you can do is live for Jesus, and those rewards go on past you. Because the things you build on this earth, dear friend, no matter how precious they are, they're all going to burn up. They're all going to be destroyed, whether in those days during the tribulation or for sure when Jesus makes a new heaven and a new earth. So all that we have down here is a temporary dwelling at best and so he goes to Succoth and then after he goes to Succoth he and that Succoth is on the east side of the Jordan River not quite as I mentioned last time on the on the right on the west side of the Jordan River where he was actually given the promised land he fell short we mentioned that last time 
but he actually then after that he was in Succoth, he went to Shechem. Went to Shechem, and he went from a building to a, buy, to a buying. It says, and Jacob came to Shalem, city of Shechem, which the land of Canaan, there he came from Pandaram and pitched his tent before the city, and he bought. He didn't just build, he bought a, a parcel of field where he had spread the tent in the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver. And so Jacob pitched his tent or, or, or spent time in this place called Shechem. And as you look at that and you read those words, Jacob pitched his tent towards the city. It kind of reminds you of another person who pitched their tent, doesn't it? Yeah, it reminds you of Lot. Reminds you of Lot. Lot got, got, got too close to Sodom and ultimately got into Sodom. And what did that do? That influence of Sodom ruined his life. And the last thing you see of Lot is him and his two daughters having an ancestral relationship. And the offspring of them were enemies of Israel throughout the history of Israel. Because they pitched their, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He's pitching his tent towards Shechem here. Shechem was a prominent city. It's near Mount Gerizim. Not too far, not too, too far from where Jesus met the woman at the well. Not too far. It would be just not too far from where Moses would get the law. So interesting place that he's, he's pitching his tent. Jacob purchased some property at the time, bringing it, buying it from Hamor, the father of the young man named Jacob. And here, the he, he, Bible says he erects an altar and calls it El Elohi Israel. Actually, it means the God who was God of Israel. The God who was the God of Israel. I believe, and I think if you, as we go into this, he should have stayed a little further away from the city. He, should have, he wasn't a missionary trying to convert folks. He was a family trying to produce godly people. And oftentimes when we get ourselves embroidered and, and, and entangled with other people, they'll, they'll have an effect that will cause us to, to be less godly and more, and more troublesome and wicked. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth as the infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness and flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do you see things that bother you? When you see those things that bother you, do you walk away from them? Do you see something on TV that bothers you? Do you keep watching or you say, no, I can't watch that no more? Hey, when you get your phone out, and you start scrolling, and you start scrolling, and before long, you scroll on something you really shouldn't see. At that moment, you got about a nanosecond before deciding to really sin and do something you wish you'd never done, or turn that thing off and say, I ain't going to watch that. See, nobody's there. Yeah, he's there. He's there. He's there, and he's here. Now, you can defile. Remember, it says, you are the temple of God. 
Would they in the holies of holies bring in something that was defiled and wicked and wrong? No, if they did, they died. The high priest, if he brought in that which was wrong or wicked, he died. That's why they had those certain, certain tunics with the bells on them so they could go in there and they still hear them. But if they didn't hear them, they'd have to take the hook and bring them out. Dear friends, why do we have so much deadness in the church? Because we get caught up in the things of the world. The world defiles us, deadens us, divides us, depresses us, and destroys us. That's why the Bible says, love not the world, nor the things of the world. You can't, you, you can't love it. You have to replace our natural fleshly love for the world with loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. You cannot love God and love the world at the same time. One is going to overtake the other. Who do you love tonight? Who do you love? Where's your allegiance? Where's your loyalty? Where's your honor? Well, on that cross, it was for you. He was loyal to you. He said in the, that garden before he got up on that cross, Father, <laughs> you know my will. <laughs> but not my will, but thy will be done. He chose the difficult path so that we can have everlasting life. Dear friends, on this earth, you have to deny yourself what you fleshly may want and what your family and friends are actually doing. Because this world is becoming more okay and okay and okay with any and everything. Let's listen to the, the little mayoral debate between Farkowski Bar. I forget his name, the Ward and the other guy. And Ward was talking about how he was for LGBTQ rights and for these right here. You look in the Bible and you see those folks had no rights. <laughs> hey, when the king got in land, what did he do with the Sodomites? He got rid of them. You say, aren't you supposed to love them? Well, sure, you're supposed to love them, but you're certainly not supposed to live like them. Now, Christians are saying, well, it's not that bad. No, dear friend, it's always been bad. It is bad, and it'll always be bad. Homosexuality will always be bad. Transgenderism is always bad. It don't make a difference if you're related to them or not. Don't make a difference if they're friends or not. It's wrong, and it's wicked. He got too close to the city. He got too close to the city. I was watching a film on the life of Luther. They, they said, you ought to go to Rome. And he went to Rome, and Rome was so wicked. They were selling indulgences. Basically, if you had an indulgence, it could save your soul from the pit of hell. And the Pope was trying to raise money for his, his project by sending out his puppets into the countryside to sell indulgence, indulgences, basically a piece of paper that says, if you sign this paper, if you take this indulgence, and you, 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 you will, you'll have eternal life. But before you get that paper, I must hear the cling of the coin. And so he said, you can have eternal life. All you have to do is put the coin in the box. Now, can you imagine that, folks? Who wouldn't give money to get their soul free from hell? 
Think about the millions and millions and millions are in hell today because of that lie. Because they believed a lie that they could buy their way to salvation. Maybe you're thinking, you can't buy your way to salvation. Jesus paid for it. He paid for it on the cross. That's why we sing at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. That's why we sing Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You can't pay for it. You can't buy it. You can't work for you for it. It's freely given. Jacob, first of all, was a failure as a, as a pilgrim. But secondly, Jacob was a failure as a parent. We see chapter 34. Look at verse 1. Chapter 4 and verse 31. It says, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, when, which was buried unto Jacob, went out and see the daughters of the land. And when Jacob, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And sold Clavin the Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved him, loved the damsel, and spake kindly unto the damsel. Verse 4, and Shechem spake unto the father of Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with the cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they came. Come. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to commune with him. The sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved, and they were very wroth because he had wrought folly in Israel and lying with Jacob's daughter, which the thing ought not to be done. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray, I pray you give, give her him to wife and make you marriages with us and your, give your daughters unto us and take your daughters unto you. And you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell, ye, dwell and trade ye therein, and get you possessions therein. And Shechem said to the father and to, the, and to his brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what shall say unto me that I, I will give thee, in, in verse 12, and, and ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. So we see here is this, this failure is apparent. How did it come across? Well, first of all, because... The scandal with Dinah's behavior. Remember, there was 11 sons and one daughter. Because I'm sure the boys didn't want to play with the daughter, the sister. She went out from the youth group or from the family and said, I want to spend time in the city. There's more glamour. There's more glitz. There's more young girls. Before long, we see how Dinah was, we see how Dinah was seen. Donna, the daughter of Leah, which bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. She wanted someone to be friend with, not spend time with all these boys. Now, she was probably at this age, about, about, about her, in her teens, probably between 12 to 14 years of age. Of course, she didn't recognize oftentimes in youth the dangers of spending time with folks who are not like her. She was spending time with pagans, and before long, she would be much like them. She was seen, but only that. We see in verse 2, she was seduced. It was before long, this Shechem, who was probably a handsome man, a man of this world, saw her. Notice she was different from the other girls. She was uh, someone to be desired. And we see not only she was seduced, she was sought. In verses 3 through 7, Shechem, this young man, had had a relationship with her, but not only that, he wanted to marry her. He wanted to be with her. He wanted to, he wanted to live with her. And so this seduction... It leaked out at home. The Bible says in verse 5 and 6, Jacob held his peace, we're told. Jacob held his peace. So we see the scandal caused by Dinah's brothers. Dinah was, Dinah, Dinah was sought, and now we see the seduction that had leaked out. But secondly, the scandal caused by Dinah's brothers, verses 8 through 
33. We'll, we'll keep up. We'll go in verse 13. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem, Hamor, father, deceitfully, and said, Because he had defiled Dinah, their sister, they said unto them, We cannot do this thing. Give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for we reproach unto us. But it, in this will be consent unto you, if you will be as we are, and every male of you be circumcised, then will we give your daughters unto you, and we will take our, your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and, and we will become one people. Verse 17, and we will not hearken to us to circumcise, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. And the words please Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. The young man deferred not to do the thing because he, de, he had delight in, in Jacob's daughter, and he was more honorable than all the men of his house his father, and Hamor, Shechem, his son, came into the gate of the city and communed with the men of the city, saying, The men are peaceable with us. Therefore let them dwell in this land and, and trade therein. For in the land, behold, it's a large enough for them. And let us take the, their daughters to us for wives, and let us give them our daughters. And only there will the men con consent unto us for to dwell with us, to be one people of every male among us, be circumcised, and they are circumcised. Shall not the cattle and the substance and every beast of theirs be ours? And only let us... Does con consent unto them, and they sh they will dwell with us. And Hamor, uh, and unto Hamor and Shechem his son, hearkened all that went all that went out of the gate of the city, and every male was circumcised, and all that went out of the gate of the city. So we see this scandal offered. First of all, there was offering unto them a worldly society. He said, "Make marriages as us. Join us. Be like be like us. Be like us." Hamer to offer not only that security, dwell with us. That's what the world says. Make marriages with us. Be like us. <laughs> hey, hey, dwell with us. Spend time with us. And then it, it, it offers worldly success. The land will be before you. Hey, just spend a little more time here. Do, do more things here. Oh, dear friend, the more time you spend in the world, the more dangerous it is. For you to ever get out. Had Jacob accepted the offer, it possibly could have wiped out the whole patriarchal line in a single generation. But he did not. He did not. But before Jacob could speak, young Shechem broke in. His father had spoken the voice of persuasion. He spoke with the voice of passion. He would do anything, anything to get his love, Dinah. How much dowry? What would it take? So we see the despicable crack. A craftiness to characterize proceedings. Hard believe such a professing believers as Simon and Levi would act such. Oh, we'll, we'll make this happen. We'll figure this out. <laughs> they, they had craftiness. They had not only despicable craftiness, they had subtle dishonesty. We see verses 13 through 17. They took negotiations. You're offering the wrong type of currency. No, we don't, we don't want monies. We want things. And you're not quite like us. So what do you have to do? going to have to be circumcised we see their shameful dishonesties of Shechem's father in verse 18 through 25 shall not their cattle and their substance be ours what did Shechem do oh he said hey he went back to town and said I tell you what guys we're making arrangements with these folks if we just be circumcised we'll have all their stuff we'll take their stuff we'll take their stuff and it was a dreadful crime verses 25 through 29 look at it it came to pass on the third day when they were sore, the two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And they slew Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out 
of Shechem's house and went out. Verse 27, And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses, which they was in the city, and that which was in the field, and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, and took their captives and spoiled even all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and Perizzites, I being few in number. They shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, Should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? Shall he deal with our sister as a harlot? We see his despairing cry to condemn the plot. What did Jacob say? You have troubled me to make me stink against the inhabitants of the land. You shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, for I have destroyed in my I shall be destroyed, I and my house. What was the problem here? I tell you what the problem was, passive parenting. You see, the negotiation should have never went to the boys. Negotiation should have been between the head of Shechem and with Jacob. But somehow, some way, he let his sons sneak in there and start making negotiations when it should have been his responsibility, first of all, to find out exactly what happened with his daughter and make that right. Should have made that right. And then second in law to speak with this man and said, hey, we're not going to have any type of arrangements. We're not going to have any type of marriages. We're not going to have any type of dwellings. We are this family and we're going to be separate from you. He was passive. He was passive. Parents, we cannot be passive in parenting. You cannot let your children do what they want to do. You are not their friends. You are their parents. They got hundreds, yay, thousands of friends. They just need mom and dad to say, this is wrong, and whether you like me or not, it's still wrong. It's still wrong. Don't do it. Don't go there. It's not good. It's not right. Don't do it. You said, mom, mom and dad said, my kids won't like me anymore. Don't be afraid. It won't be the first time. It won't be the last. How many of you folks, be honest, grew up not liking your parents very much because they told you not to do some stuff? And if you'd have done the stuff your parents let, said, said no to do, you wouldn't be sitting in those chairs right now. Your parents in love said you said to you, don't go down that street with that so-and-so because so-and-so is going to get you in trouble. But some of you snuck out and did it anyways. But at least your parents told you not to. But now it sounds like mom and dad wants to be so chummy with, with, their, with their kids that they're afraid to tell them right from wrong. No, friend. The Bible says, train up the child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. If they get to the age, 18, 19, where they move out of the house, they're doing their own thing, at least you told them what is right. And then you stick to that standard of what's right. So by the grace of God, when they come back, you're still at that standard of doing right. Stay there. Stay there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. We looked at this verse before. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I love what Matthew Henry said. Not only bring them up in the, as the brutes do, taking care to provide for them. I mean, even brutes do that. But bring them up in nurture and admonition in such a manner as suitable to their reasonable natures. Nay, not only bring them up as men in nurture and admonition, but as Christians. 
in the admonition of the Lord. Let them have a religious education. Instruct them to fear sinning. To fear sinning. And inform them of and, and excite them. And the whole duty toward God. What we should tell our kids. The living the Christian life is the best thing in the world. Mom and dad, did you get here before you came to church tonight? Oh, I got to go back to church. 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 Got to go back. Preacher Moon will call me next. He'll call me tomorrow if I don't go to church. Now, dear friends, your kids are watching you saying, I want to go back to church. If you don't want to come here, you think they want to come here? If you don't love God and, his, and things of God, you think your kids going to love God? They're going to usually love God a whole lot less than you do. Where are you at? Where are you at? Do you make Christ known to them? Or is Christianity only in the church, not in the house? When you're wrong, do you admit you're wrong? When you say things wrong to your wife, men, do you admit you say something wrong to your, to your, to your wife? Ladies, when you, when you don't obey your husband, because you did say down there in front of everybody you would obey your husband, right? When you don't obey your husband, do you stop and say, now, Dear daughter and dear son, I didn't obey you. I didn't obey, I didn't obey my husband. Would you, would you forgive me? I was wrong. That's not the way I should act. Or do you walk around the house like every, you're always right all the time? No, the Bible says humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. We live humble before God. He was, first of all, in the wrong place. And secondly, he was being a poor parent. And what did this do? Ultimately cause him... They have to leave the place because of his bad decisions which he'd made. You ever see people make such a bad decision in their life, they kind of stink up the joint and wind up having to leave, just to be honest. They make so many bad decisions in their life, they do so many wrong, make so many wrong moves that they say, I, they can't even tolerate the situation they're in, so they have to get out. They have to get out of it. I've seen families do this. And it'd be good if you see him going from this place to another independent Baptist church, but most of the time you see him going from this place to nowhere. There's folks sitting, used to sit in these chairs right here. They ain't going to church. They ain't been to church in years. They used to teach you right and wrong. They used to teach your kids right and wrong. Now they ain't going to church nowhere. What happened to them? They got bitter at God. And that's exactly what the devil's trying to get you to do. He's trying to get you divided from you, and you divided from you, and you mad at them, and you mad at so-and-so, and you mad at, you just mad at anybody, you don't even know why you're mad. And you get so messed up by bad decisions and poor parenting and wrong places, before long, you find yourself on a Sunday morning doing something you shouldn't be doing with people you shouldn't be doing it with. When you used to be saying, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. Dear friend, all of us are just one decision from being totally out of the will of God. And every day, the devil, who does not sleep or slumber, is trying to destroy you. We are in a battle. As Brother Pete talked about this morning, I talked about Wednesday night, he's trying to slander us. He's trying to destroy us. He walketh around like a, like a lion, like a caged lion, the Bible says of Peter, seeking whom he may devour. He's not resting. He's not slumbering. He's not playing ground. This life is a battlefield. And he heard the testimony of Jacob. He heard the testimony of Jacob. I can remember a family that we used to, my wife and I used to pick up 
every Wednesday night. Every time we, every Wednesday night, I take the, the, the church van home and we pick up this family. Pick them up, come to church, pick them up, go to church, pick them up, go to church for 12 years. Picked up that same family, took them to youth group on Wednesday night. Took them for long, they said, we're not, we're not, we moved them from here. By that time, social media comes out, and I'm saying to myself, surely this family who's been going to church for 12 years will find them a good independent Baptist church up there, which they've been going to for all these years, and church on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, at least those two times, they'll find a place. I don't think they ever did. I don't think they ever did. And now you look at their lives and say, Lord, what happened? And that's exactly what the devil wants to do with us. Take us out of his will take God the devil wants to take us out of God's will for our life but look at verse 35 the Bible says here in verse 35 verse 1 and God said to Jacob rise and go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar unto God and it appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau my brother what does he do he was drink he was saying come back to me come back to me Come back to me. And you know what God the Father is always doing? He's saying, come back to me. He's pursuing you tonight through his word, through his sweet spirit. If you're away from him, he's saying to you, come back to me. Don't rest in your laziness. Don't rest in your lust. Don't live in your selfishness. Come back to me. See, it's easy to be consumed with ourselves because the Bible says a double-minded man is a stubborn always ways. And that's where Jacob had been, unstable. Part in the world, part with God, and he couldn't make his mind which way he wanted to go. But God says to us in his word, in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Come back to God. Come back to God. The question is, will we tonight? Will we? Tomorrow morning, you're going to make decisions. Am I going to live for Jesus or am I going to live for myself? You have to start out early. Am I going to live for God when you wake up in the morning? Maybe the opportunity to read your Bible and say, ah, it's Monday. Monday, Monday, Blue Monday. What are you going to do first thing Monday morning? You're going to have a choice. Turn TV on, binge your favorite show on Netflix for eight hours, or say, you know what? I haven't been in the Word of God for a long time. The Holy Spirit says, will you spend a sweet five minutes with me? I'm not, I'm not even saying sweet hour of prayer. <laughs> I'm saying a sweet five minutes. Will you spend sweet five minutes in prayer and fellowship with me? And while you do, and while, <laughs> why is the Spirit saying you that? You're thinking about, all the list of things you have to get complete today. But dear friend, Jesus should be on the first on the list. Why is Jesus always last? Oh, I got to get this done, this done, this done, this done, this done, this done, this done. And then you're so tired, you say, well, I'll read my Bible at the end. And then you find yourself falling asleep and there's time for Jesus. Where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? Are you willing to go back to Bethel, which is called the house of God? Are you willing to stay at Succoth, the sinful city? So many Christians are living in Succoth today. Friends with the world 
and outwardly may seem fine, but inwardly they're dying. And their souls are struggling. Where are you at tonight? Father, I pray, God, that you'd help us, Lord Jesus, realize our need to get back to Bethel, to get to the house of God, not just literally, but in our own homes, to be with you, to dwell with you, to spend time with you, to know you. Oh, the world, Mr. Allurements are, are, are everywhere. It's easy to walk down the streets of Vainglory and look at the, the baubles and the trinkets and the toys and the stuff that, that makes seemingly life pleasurable. But, oh, Lord, how more important it is to spend time with you and to know you and to dwell with you and to walk with you. How important is our testimony, that we, our testimony that we don't, <laughs> that we as Christians don't stink to our neighbors. That as our neighbors see us, they see folks that are trying to, by the grace of God, live for him and long for him and be like him. Maybe you found yourself struggling too much with being in the world. You got one foot there and one foot in spiritual things. But dear friend, let me encourage you tonight to come on over. <laughs> the, the Savior's calling. It's supper time. Soon, we're going home. Will he find you playing too much in this world? Will he find you dwelling that sucketh, drinking on the wickedness of this world? Or will he find you in Bethel? Will he find you when he comes? If he came tonight, will he found you? what would he find you spiritually? Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior. There's never been a time in your life, though you maybe you've made decisions, you've even been baptized, you walked all aisles. Be honest with God, you do not know Christ as your Savior. Maybe that's you tonight. I hope it wouldn't embarrass you, but I encourage you to come. That's an invitation to see Brother Clayton, my wife, myself, someone else. We'd love to take the Bible and show you how to be saved. If you're not sure you're saved, don't let your pride cause you to go to hell. It's not worth it. Get saved tonight. Dear friend, you say, preacher, I'm not where I should be spiritually tonight. I'm struggling with worldliness. I'm struggling with one foot in the world, one foot in church, or righteousness. I'm struggling. I admit my struggle tonight. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that be honest tonight? Anybody be honest tonight? I'm struggling. My flesh, the allurement, the danger, I'm struggling. Oh, dear, dear friend, the Holy Spirit knows. Will you acknowledge it tonight yourself? Let's stand to our feet as the, as the music plays. Do business with God tonight. God is speaking to you.